Hi, folks, and welcome back to another episode of the Wildlife for You podcast. This is the show where we talk about wildlife and wildlife conservation in ways that make sense. And I must say, I had a good run. I kept Daryl away from talking about bears for almost a solid month. But sadly, folks, I have lost that foothold. Sadly? What do you mean, sadly? Steph, you know as well as I, people are absolutely clamoring to hear about bears. They're, they're literally such an awesome topic to talk about. Okay, first off, because you are super engaged with groups that like to talk about bears only means that you hear clamor from a biased population. But you know, don't you think we've talked about bears enough on this podcast? I mean, we've already covered Bruno, hyperphagia, hibernation, uh, brown bears, bear intelligence, which is not all it's cracked up to be, mind you, um, all sorts of bear behavior topics. And of course, your all-time favorite, the nose, the glorious nose. Do you know what? Do you know who you remind me of? You remind me of Bubba from Forrest Gump. But instead of talking about <laughs> shrimp, you talk about bears. Hey, hey, who doesn't love Bubba, though? Um, when you talk about something you love, people can really feel your energy. So can't you, like, literally feel? I've said literally twice already. Oh, my gosh, you, you've got me so paranoid about literally. But you can literally feel my energy right now, can't you? I feel something. And it's either like a bad case of gas or that you're acting weird. So, you know, it's it's a good thing that we're thousands of miles apart because sometimes you are too stinking weird, you weirdo. <laughs> well, trust me, I'm I'm like totally okay with being weird. And what can I say? I just happen to love bears. But hey, that reminds me, Steph, we, we haven't even told our listeners what we're going to be talking about today. So shall I tell them or shall you? Well, uh, you know, when you did mention doing another episode on bears, I was a little bit hesitant. But when you when you mentioned the actual topic for tonight, I admit it was rather interesting. Now, see, see, you cannot help but like bears. Wildlife, but I, I like wildlife. Anyway, I have to admit bears have been in the news quite a bit this year. Unfortunately, it's been for not so good reasons. Um, there's been a number of serious attacks and fatalities. You know, we also had the sad passing of Bruno the Wandering Bear. And there's actually been quite a bit of controversy regarding grizzlies around Yellowstone as of late. You know, the, the last issue um, of which is actually inspired today's topic, uh, which is bear brigades. So, Dee, why don't you go ahead and tell everyone a little bit of background information on tonight's topic? Sure, I would be more than happy to. So, okay, folks. Well, it's not hard to understand that there's many millions of Americans that head to the great outdoors when they're on vacation. Now, many of their vacations, it, it therefore literally revolves around visiting national parks or other wild areas. And as you can imagine, city goers, well, as well as rural folks, they always enjoy seeing wildlife in its natural environment. So think about it. Usually people will always stop or slow down when they see an animal in the field, whether or not it's like a deer or a coyote or a turkey. But then there's that one animal that actually sends people into a tizzy and it's the bear. Mm, I'd say more than one, actually. Anyhow, and let, let me let me roll on my bear topic here. So, 
whether or not it is a black bear or a brown bear, also known as a grizzly, is in the continental U.S., people will usually always stop their car immediately and try to get a better look. Now, there's many of those folks that even get out of their vehicle and try to grab a picture, um, and sometimes they they don't even realize where they're leaving their vehicle. And so what do you think that causes? Ah, the infamous bear jam. And I don't mean the kind that Yogi and Boo Boo liked on their toast. Um, You know, we're talking about actual traffic jams caused by somebody spotting a bear. And I've literally, thank you, Daryl, for making (laughs) me now subconscious. I have been stuck in many of those in the Smokies. Yeah, and those bear drives, think about it. Those leisurely drives that should only take maybe an hour or so, sometimes take six to eight hours because of the delays caused by bear jams. And it's usually because, like I said, people in their haste to see a bear, they get out of their vehicle immediately and they fail to properly pull off to the side of the road. Not only is that extremely frustrating to all the cars behind it, but depending on that roadway, it can be super duper dangerous, especially if it's a well-traveled or a high-speed road. Yeah. And as you can imagine, this is not only not wise, um, it's often not legal, especially on major thoroughfares. The problem is national parks and other places where you're likely to see bears and get caught in these bear jams don't have extra law enforcement personnel to police the bear jams. Yeah. And I should add, it's well known that state and especially federal agencies, they're notoriously underfunded and understaffed. Now, if law enforcement personnel for those state and federal agencies, if they had to police bear jams, they would, I almost said it again, they would almost <laughs> spend every minute of the day directing traffic. And we know that's not a good use of their time. Yeah, so to combat the, the lack of personnel, what some national parks have done recently is create volunteer bear brigades. And these brigades, they have been used intermittently in parks like Yellowstone and even the Grand Tetons, um, where a volunteer group assists the park with directing traffic and making sure people behave around bears that are hanging out near the roadside. So the thing is that you you have to remember here is national parks are governed under the National Park Service. You know, they have a completely different role than, say, the Forest Service or the Bureau of Land Management, or or BLM, as we call it. In simple terms, national parks are generally set aside or preserved and have a specific set of rules. So one of their primary goals with preservation is to provide pristine habitat and refuge for wildlife. In the other two situations, like with the Forest Service or the BLM, those are what we call multi-use agencies. You know, wildlife is one of many uses for that land, and it's more or less meant for utilization by people instead of that preservation factor. So things like recreation, forestry, you know, grazing, uh, resource extraction, all, all of that kind of stuff. That's what we mean when we say that that multi-use, um, use, agency use. So they're all legal uses. So sometimes wildlife, we have to remember, is not the ultimate consideration. Yeah, that, that was such an excellent description there, Steph. And, and to everyone out there, what, what Steph is saying is national parks, they're undoubtedly going to be governed more favorably for wildlife. 
it's usually one of their first and foremost um, goals is to make sure that wildlife and wildlife habitat is protected. Um, now, when you're talking about some of those other places, like Stephanie mentioned, the, the Forest Service or the Bureau of Land Management, you have to understand there's other activities that are going on in those areas, especially like national forests. There, there's things like commercial logging or other commerce-related activities. So by law, they have to strive to keep those activities up and running. So the bottom line is national parks and national forests are not one in the same. They literally serve very different purposes. And kudos to you on the perfect use of the word literally, because you are very accurate when you used it in that case, for sure. Are you but feeling I, okay? You're, you're breathing really heavy over there. That's, it's not me. It's, can you actually hear that? It's bandit. <laughs> it's, he just, it's funny. <laughs> it's funny. Keep going. Roll with it. <laughs> okay. So uh, another thing to just kind of tack on something that I thought about when you were, when you were saying that is the, the road systems within each one of those types of entities. So, you know, national parks, they don't usually have interstate highways running through them, and they typically don't have, you know, townships and communities living, you know, within them. You know, <laughs> sorry, now the dog's making me paranoid. It's the okay. national, national Forest and Bureau of Land Management lands, those do. Those do often have, you know, interstate highways or high-speed highways um, going through them and lots of roads and townships and communities that are in those borders. Yeah, and because of that reason you just mentioned, it makes it so much harder to manage bear jams depending on where they occur. For example, if you have a bear jam in a national park, you can often close down the road or redirect, or in fact, you could stop traffic if wildlife along the road is becoming an issue. In a national forest or some of those other areas where you have towns and people living inside those areas, you can't really close down the roads. You can't do that because those roads often connect two towns together and people have to move, be able to move back and forth. Yeah. And given the volume and the speed of cars on some of those roads, I doubt any state or federal agency would be too keen on letting volunteers direct traffic on, you know, like an interstate highway or some major thoroughfare. And not to mention when you say all that, it also brings up, you know, the need for emergency vehicle accessibility between those towns or, you know, even shipments that support our critical infrastructure as a nation. Yeah, exactamundo. <laughs> I didn't know you spoke Spanish. I, I, I practice it every once in, once in a while. But all politics, legalities aside, we're here to talk about biology and science of the situation. And so now I gave you, Steph, I gave you some, some homework to do, which is nice to do, by the way. And we will get to that in a second. But before we dive into that, I want to get your opinion on something. But first, I'm going to give you my opinion. Boy, howdy. Was that a convoluted way to say that you gave me homework? We're about to talk about it. And well, you have an opinion on the matter. I love making things crystal clear and easy for everyone. So anyway, hush, <laughs> hush now. Um, you, you know I'm opinionated when it comes to bears. Anywho, I think this idea of bear brigades is pretty interesting. I love the fact that agencies, they're finally thinking outside the box to develop solutions. And especially if those solutions involve the public. That is a good thing. That is a very good thing because 
we have to work together. The public and the government has to work together. They are one and the same. Now, personally though, I would rather these bear brigades be called wildlife brigades because I imagine there's other instances beyond bears where they can actually be useful. Also, think about the use of volunteers. It's a great thing to use volunteers, but we can talk about issues all day long regarding volunteers. Now, obviously there's, there's the training of the volunteers. And of course there's the reliability issue because no one's, no one's getting paid when you're a volunteer. Now, needless to say, I have worked with some absolutely amazing volunteers. So I'm sure there are people out there that would be willing to fill the need in these situations. I just want everyone listening to know that it's just not as easy as saying, oh, let's get volunteers to do that. Sometimes it's just really, really hard to coordinate and to find the right people to do these volunteer projects. I, I actually, I can agree with that. And I will say for our wildlife human attack response training that we do, we need uh, for like one day, for four hours out of one day, we usually need about 20 to 30 volunteers. I have never once managed to get that quota. Yeah, I, I feel your pain. You, you have some really super duper great volunteers that are super dependable, um, but they are few and far between usually. But you, you better, <laughs> the funny thing is you better agree with me regarding the volunteer help because um, if you recall, you used to volunteer and help me with my bear studies in Tennessee. <laughs> Just look at all the problems you caused me. <laughs> Oh, you turn bucket. I was the very best volunteer you ever had and you know it. <laughs> yeah, you keep thinking that, but here's <laughs> here's my other hang up. And I've got to use that dang word that that I always have trouble pronouncing. You you know the good old anthropomorphization word. See, I'm getting so good at that actually. Anyway, I think that word <laughs> um get it out again. No, because I'd screw it up. I'd probably say like Pomeranian or something. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that that anthropomorphization, it, it has a real tendency to occur. If people volunteer, or at least they believe they're volunteering to protect an individual bear. Here's the thing. I truly believe some people, they then think, it's their job. If they're selected to work on these bear brigades, I believe that some people then think it's their job to follow an individual bear and make sure nothing happens to it. Now, that is the situation that really scares me. I, I actually have a few more thoughts on that, but let me hear your opinion or your take on these bear brigades. Well, you know, D, truth be told, I I didn't know much about bear brigades other than what you told me and what I researched these, this bear brigade phenomenon. It's, it's more of a Western concept and you know, I'm, I'm stuck here over in the East. Anyway, um, I, I do, I, I too share the same concerns as you when it comes to the anthropomorphization and developing a brigade to help protect a certain bear, you know, the bear inevitably it gets a name and it's a human name, you know, um, definitely I can see your anthropomorphization tie in. And yes, I'm showing off by saying it lots of times. Yes. Um, it's almost though, as if one bear becomes more important than another bear. You know, and the focus becomes one bear 
and not the whole species. As a wildlife professional, all of the individuals in a species are important. After all, you know, it is the species that we are trying to protect. And since we're talking about opinions right now, um, I just feel making celebrity wildlife animals is a misguided attempt at turning a wild animal into something pet-like, you know, and that is just wrong down to the very core of my being. Don't get me wrong. If I see a cute little woodchuck, I would love to run up and tackle him and give him head noogies, you know, (laughs) but that's my heart talking, you know, and not my brain. My brain is what I have to allow to make those decisions. Like you said, if the bear, excuse me, if the brigades, because I don't want to say bear brigades specifically, but if these brigades are formed to assist our wildlife along certain roads, then yeah, I I think they can serve a very good function. It's when we take that too far and then these lose their focus. That's when that can become a concern. See, I knew you wouldn't let me down with your opinion, Steph. That was was pretty good because it agreed with me. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, opinions aside. Let's get down to the good stuff. This is why we're here. It's the science. And, and I'll tell you, Steph, I, I've been following things happening in the greater Yellowstone area quite a bit lately. We obviously will be heading there um, in a couple of weeks with our student program. So I'm really excited about that. So I've been keeping tabs on what's going on over in Yellowstone. So anyway, one of the issues that has come to light recently is a bear that has been hanging around one of the highways in that greater Yellowstone area. It's actually outside of Yellowstone and the Grand Tetons. It's on, well, this particular female, um, it's a grizzly and she has some cubs and they've actually been feeding along the highway between those two national parks or, or nearby those national parks. Now, so far, there's been a real hesitancy by any agency to create a bear brigade, a volunteer bear brigade, because of where that bear is located. But here's something that I think we need to address. Recently, the state and federal agencies, they got together, and in this case, it's Wyoming Game and Fish, as well as the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. They're, They're the two primary agencies that are responsible for this bear. But recently, those two agencies got together, and what they did is they decided to haze the bear away from the roadway. Obviously, this was done for safety purposes, not just for the public stopping alongside a busy interstate, but for the safety of the bear as well. Now, we all know that vehicular fatalities with grizzlies is an all-too-common occurrence. Um, Wait, okay, let let me stop you right there, and let me first explain to everyone what hazing means. So hazing is another term for aversive conditioning techniques. To put it simply, it means they're using scare tactics to, well, I mean, to scare the bear away from a particular area. Agencies use things like like cracker shells or, you know, fire these rubber bullets or bean bags at the hind corner of a bear to make them leave an area. In some Western states, they also use Karelian bear dogs to chase the bear away. So I think about it kind of like a non-lethal force with police. You know, it's meant to be super scary and stop a particular activity that's actually occurring right then. Um, maybe, okay, so I guess the, the best way to describe the technique is providing a healthy dose of tough love. You know, I, I hate that it comes to this, but sometimes you have to teach a bear certain behaviors by using negative stimulus in order to potentially save its life. Yeah, and and I hope people understand it's not because 
we want to do this to the bears. Often it's because we're trying to protect the bears and the, to keep something more tragic from happening to them. Simply put, a large part of this is for their safety. In this case, preventing them from getting struck and killed along a busy highway. But the, this hazing action that has taken place has resulted in a lot of people getting upset. Obviously, stressing an animal out with scare tactics is nothing anyone wants to do. But what I've been reading and seeing more and more of lately are claims that authorities are potentially killing those bears by scaring them away from the roads. Now, follow along. The thought process here behind this logic is that females with cubs more heavily utilize area next to roads to protect their offspring from adult male bears. Those male bears obviously tend to shy away from roads. So this is what I had Stephanie investigate. All right, I feel like I've been talking way too much. So why don't you take it over from here regarding your homework and you talk for a little bit. Hmm, yeah, sure. Um, I will say when you task me with researching uh, the science behind some specific grizzly behavior, it intrigued me because I never heard of much research showing that female grizzlies benefit from being close to roads. And do you know why I never found that research before? No, but I have a feeling you're about to tell me. <laughs> I am. It's because there's not a lot of research to find, even less that's, that's anything more than just anecdotal, that suggests that roads are good for grizzly populations, in particular, females relying on roads to protect their cubs. In fact, the vast majority of research shows roads having a significantly negative effect on bears and bear behavior. Now, there was a paper back in 1988, um, hopefully that's not too much older than some of our listeners, <laughs> by McClellan and Shackleton that summarized yearlings and females with cubs used habitats near roads more than other bears these areas may have been relatively secure because they were avoided by potentially aggressive adult males. Yeah, and just so you know, that's the exact reasoning I've been hearing and reading about. Yeah, but here's the thing, Dee, and this is why people have to be careful using justification that has not been you know, really studied. People are taking a mighty big leap by saying females benefit from being near a road. You know, the study didn't actually look to see if the female survivor, excuse me, survival, or the, the cub survival, if that increased because of their habitat selection, um, in this case, near roads, you know, or, you know, maybe even did, did a decrease. That study simply mentioned an observation and suggested a potential reason for it. And when you think about it, you know, it kind of makes sense. Females with the cub want to avoid, you know, those adult male bears, Male bears are obviously selecting the best habitat, which, you know, was discovered to be far, far away from roads. So one of the results of that exact same study showed that overall habitat use by all bears was far less near roads than in other areas, resulting in a huge net loss of the actual habitat. If I recall correctly, in that study area, um, which was up in Canada, by the way, I think something like 7% of the, the overall habitat was lost simply because of roads cutting through it. Yeah, you know what I found really interesting in that McClellan and Shackleton paper? What's that? Even though 
it it mentions about females using using areas near roads, especially when they have cubs, and the the thought process of them uh, using those areas to avoid adult males. It, like you said, it totally makes sense. But was so cool in that exact same paper, they mention a study that took place. I think it was about a hundred miles to the south of where their study took place. And you know what they found? Didn't they find that males use the area near the road more than the females? Yes, exactly. So it, it, it just goes to show it was anecdotal observations that were, that were reported. So let, uh, let me, let me ask you this. So you, you just said a second ago that you were seeing this and hearing this uh, or reading this justification um, for the, the, the comment there that the roads keeping the mama bear and her, her cubby safe. So what essentially people are doing is the same thing that you and I get onto the media for all the time, which is, you know, taking things out of context, taking one sentence or half of a sentence out of a specific true story and then twisting it. Yeah, exactly. And if you delve into the science, which I ask you to do, and I thank you so much for doing that. And I wish, I wish more people would delve into the science um, be, because when you start reading about some of these, is some of the things that we understand or we we take as as fact don't really play out that way if you read and understand things. Now, let, let me go back real quickly to that that Shackleton observation because in that other study that they mentioned, they saw that there were more male bears using the roadways than female bears. But that was not really mentioned or brought up because there was issues with that study because that one particularly, it, it had very low sample size. And so they recognized they can't make any, any concrete observations because they didn't really have that, that good of a sample size to, to deduct any, any statistically significant conclusions there. Um, and I think that's what's going on here. People are literally grappling on to anecdotal evidence, just like the media does. And so they will see a female grizzly with cubs, and especially if it's a popular, already named female with cubs, one of those celebrity bears, and what they'll do is they'll see her behavior, and they extrapolate it, and they apply it to all bears. In, in other words, bear number whatever hangs out near the road with her cubs, so she's trying to protect them. Now, without a doubt, Steph, without any doubt whatsoever, there could be an individual bear that may find comfort in a particular area, and it might just so happen to be near a road. But to say that all females in general rely on roads to protect their cubs, like you said, that's that's just a really, really big stretch. Well, let me add something saying to to say, you know, I, I think it's a really dangerous stretch. You know, we just talked about one study that briefly mentioned that observed behavior. Like I said, there's been numerous studies, numerous studies showing the negative impacts of roads on grizzlies. You know, there was a great summary by, I think it was Andreas Seiler that discussed in detail the negative impacts of roads. And again, this is backed up. There's tons and tons of data on this. Um, but for example, you have an overall habitat loss similar to what, you know, McClellan and Shackleton noted. Many animals simply don't use the roads and areas near the roads as much. Also, depending on the size of the road, they can serve as a barrier actually to movement. So in other words, they can cut off 
much larger areas if the animal just refuses to cross or, you know, or if they're, they're blocked from crossing the road due to fencing. Now, the most obvious, blatantly obvious, um, negative effect of, of course, is direct mortality from a vehicle collision. And that that's not an uncommon thing. You know, it's, it's who doesn't know what, what it's like to see a well, large roadkill at the side of the road, you know? Yeah, and I think in this particular case with grizzly bear recovery, I, I know roadkill was an issue. I, believe it or not, I think uh, train, uh, being struck by trains was an issue at some point. But Every, every bear counts and losing a, a grizzly to vehicular collision early on in the recovery was a really big loss. So good yeah. point there. Yeah. And, you know, they're having some less obvious effects such as, you know, pollution and litter along the roadways as well. But having, having said that, and to be fair, there are occasionally some benefits to roads such as potentially making travel easier, but you know, it's, it's so rare to get those kind of circumstances. The negatives by far seem to outweigh the positives. And can I, can I bring up a cougar thing? I know we're talking about bears. I know. Oh, you always bring... gotta, you gotta bring a cougar into every podcast we do. <laughs> and a groundhog. Come on. Um, well, so, and I don't know how familiar you are with the science behind this, but if I, if I know you, you're going to be pretty spot on. Have you ever read about the mortality statistics or the causes of mortality in cougars? Uh, a little bit. A human mortality. Uh, say that again. You kind of bleeped out there. Oh, sorry. For for human caused mortality in cougars, what? Because everybody is always very anti hunting when it comes to cougars. Do you know what the largest mortality caused by humans is on cougars? Well, so I don't sound stupid by getting it wrong. Well, no, I'll I'll stick my neck out because obviously there's going to be a lot of cougars that are put down intentionally, but if it's not an intentional killing by human, I would imagine you have road mortality. I know in the Everglades, uh, cougars getting struck on the the, uh, the the main highway in the Everglades is one of the biggest sources of mortality in that particular area. Exactly, exactly. And I, I need to brush myself up on the science, but from what I understand, they actually believe that vehicular mortality, i.e. the cougar being struck by a car, is one of the larger reasons for overall mortality for cougars. So like, you know, it could be, and again, I'll have to do some research on this. So please don't take this and, and run to the bank with it, y'all. But I think from from what some some studies are reminding of, in some places, it's, it's more of a higher cause of death than even natural purposes. Yeah. So. Well, okay. This is a bear podcast. I'm going to say one more thing about cougars. So it's very well known that that cougar population in California that um, is just outside the, the Los Angeles. They are, mm -hmm. they are in dire jeopardy because of habitat fragmentation due to major highways. So mm -hmm. th this, this idea of roads kind of being a good thing, it can making me pull my hair out, especially when I'm reading all those, all those responses about, um, trying to keep bears near roads because it's good for them. I, I swear, Stephanie, it seems like some people were clamoring that it's literally too dangerous for grizzlies to be in the woods. <laughs> uh, I, I just, you know what, I'll just say it doesn't surprise me, you know, that some things can be twisted or in this case, you know, taking too much out of context because people are always trying to suit their needs um, as, as opposed to the actual needs of the wildlife. You know, think about it, D. 
if you were John Q. Public and you wanted to go see a bear while you were on vacation, where would you rather have them hanging out? Do you want them hanging out easy access for you and your air conditioning near the road or miles back in the sweaty had to hike forever to get their back country? Do you want me to answer that from my standpoint or what I think most people would say? You do realize when I say to, if you're John Q. Public, that that means you have to speak for most people, right? Uh, yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> I, it, it's obvious stuff. Pe- people, or should I say Joe, they would much rather have bears hanging out where they're most visible so they can obviously more easily see them and find them. Yeah, yeah. All right. So, so to wrap up some of the science here, like we were saying, there is no doubt some individual bear here or there that may take a liking to being near a road for for whatever reason that it's it's little heart and mind desire right anyway especially if they have cubs but the vast vast majority of research shows that bears and literally meaning all bears as in the bear species do not like being near roads and roads are okay bad for bears now that you might i'm gonna go on I'm going to pontificate tangentially here. If, if wow. <laughs> I'm so proud, right? I'm so glad I was sitting down. Well, you you just said about how all bears, they don't like being near roads. And you reminded me of something. Back when I was in Tennessee, we were trying to predict where the bear population was going to expand to. Now, keep in mind, this is black bears because that's all they have in Tennessee. And so we had the University of Tennessee, some amazing bear biologists kind of do some modeling for us to figure out where in the state the bears would potentially expand to. And they ran all these different models. And these these were high up guys. In fact, uh, one of them, I think Frank Van Manen might have worked on that project. Um, I don't want to implicate him. <laughs> because what they found out is when they were looking at where bears were currently in the state and um, where they anticipated them going, one of the top two things that bears wanted was roadless areas. (laughs) Areas where they can live without being anywhere near a road. Doesn't matter if it was male, female, cub, whatever. Most of the bears were found in areas where there is the least amount of roads. So anyway. You know what? uh, That kind of makes sense. That's the same reason I live out in the country. Yeah. You're, you're part bear at heart, I imagine. So, hey, um, you, you know what we didn't even comment on and we probably should make mention of it? What's that? The habituation factor. But bears, bears can obviously become habituated to being around people. Remember, habituation simply means they get used to some type of stimulus and, and often they simply learn to ignore it. For example, many of the bears in our national parks they are habituated to seeing people. The problem is the more people that bears see, the more the likelihood they're going to run into an idiot who's going to try to feed them. And that's when bears can become food conditioned to anthropogen. Anth- I hate, I hate those words. <laughs> anthropogenic. Yeah. You knew what I was trying to say. Anthropogenic food sources or, or human food sources. And that generally, when a bear gets used to being fed by people or human type of foods, that generally means a death sentence for those those guys. So once again, as we all know, being around people is not good for bears. 
Okay, I, I hate that you mentioned that because it just reminded me of, you know, when when you asked me to research bear behavior and see if they were, you know, more attracted to humans and roads and all this stuff. I will tell you, I did run across one paper um, that was discussing, and I think I sent you the link for it, but it was recent. So I don't know. I, I doubt that you had time to read it, but it quite literally was studying specifically the bear behavior of a female with a yearling. So not a cub of the year, um, but, but, but a yearling where these female bears with the yearling cub during the mating season, the active mating season that they were showing some, some signs to just, sorry, I'm just, I just imagined a bear holding up a sign. Um, (laughs) Anyway, there was, they were, they were potentially hanging out closer to human habitated areas than what they do and not in the mating season to help avoid the aggressive males and their, their Machiavellian suitor style. Um, because it, so to, let's catch everybody up, I guess, real quick on bear biology. So if a female bear is lactating, she's not interested in other boys, right? Like she's totally not interested in boys at all. So what the boy bears do is if they are aggressive enough and they just really find that they would like to mate with this female bears, they will go in and kill that yearling cub because, or run it off. We, you know, not, I guess it doesn't have to be a mortality event here, but um, they will do what they can to separate that female from that yearling cub so that the female will stop lactating. And then within a few weeks, she'll be ready to, you know, put on some, some, very white music yeah yeah Uh, yeah right so then they'll be accepting of the flowers and all that good stuff and mating season may occur for that bear after all so they they have found some but i will tell you in my in my experience that i I still feel that much more research needs to be done on this before i am willing to say that it's more than anecdotal observation at this point but i'm not saying that it's out of the realm of possibility but what i did like about this study was the temporal restrictions that they put on this you know they didn't they didn't use those generalizations that all bears do this all the time you know that just because one bear did it the one time they didn't turn it into a this is documented now as all bear behavior but they they there was some science that maybe maybe we can start to look at this but it does not it didn't it did not anywhere in there state roads um because again while a road would indicate a potential human area, unless it's a road near houses and communities and stuff like that, I, I don't know that, that that was part of their, their criteria. Can I throw anyway, something in? I, you may throw all you like. Well, I was, I was just going to say, and that's what I love about science. You ask a question and you begin investigating. And before you know it, you have a hundred more questions. And mm-hmm. I think what what the moral of this story of this podcast is, is there's, there's a lot of questions and there's potential answers. And the key here is not, not taking the first observation and running with it as this is an answer. This is, this is what occurs. Science takes lots and lots of research and study. And sometimes over years, you, you gather more data and your conclusions can sometimes change over time. So I just caution everyone to be extremely uh, diligent with kind of reading up on the most current science. And and like you've been stressing all along in this podcast stuff is the vast majority of research is just, just saying that bears hanging around roads is usually doesn't occur and it's not usually a good thing. Yeah. Can I, can I, can I add a little bit to your, your smidge that you're talking there on the scientific theory and scientific method? 
Yeah. Uh, I, okay. So a lot of people, they, they seem to think that um, when it comes to the whole, like what Daryl was just going through, you make an observation, you create a hypothesis, you do experimentation, that experimentation is never to prove that you are right. It is only to validate if you are not wrong. <laughs> so just because something passes the muster the first time around does not make it true. It just gives you, just like Daryl said, you form a new hypothesis. You change it a different way because you got to come at it from a different angle because these things, you know, we're not looking to prove ourselves right. We're just trying to figure out what's wrong. And, this- and eventually we may have enough findings to support something that said but that doesn't even then make it like an absolute true. Yeah, and this this is truly what confuses John Q. Public because they they read about a lot of this back and forth and they get frustrated with science, think, oh, science is a bunch of baloney because they, they can't even settle on something. They're always changing and tweaking this. That is science. <laughs> that is how this process, and it is a process. That's how it works. And it's literally how society, how life, how everything, how we've come to understand everything. So it, it's difficult. I totally, totally get that. And it's hard to understand, but it's it's definitely the what we have to base our decisions on. Yeah. Anyway, I could I could go on and on about that topic, but given the time that we are at now, because I looked at my watch while you were just talking, we could probably just do a whole new podcast on that. But anyway. Yeah. And you have no idea how much I'm smiling right now because if you do another podcast on that, you just agreed to potentially do another whole podcast on bears. Ah, <laughs> uh, hush. I, I don't get your hopes up on that, by the way. You know, we could we can talk about a hundred other things before we get to this again, if I know us. Yeah, well, not if I can help it. Um, but hey, as much as I hate to say it, uh, I do think we should probably start wrapping things up. As I mentioned, I did glance at my watch, and I think if we don't start wrapping things up, you're going to keep on talking. So yeah, I think um, I think we are to start pulling the uh, plug on this episode. Okay, um, to put this whole thing to bed, can I ask you to summarize today's dis- discussion? And here's what I'm asking: if you were to read, or or say you were talking to someone, and they mentioned how it's good for female grizzlies to hang out near a road, what should our response be? Um, I would say, what? You don't like bears? <laughs> You're such a wise ass. Uh, here's the thing. I, I kind of agree with you there. I, I would also hope you would kind of explain your answer. And you know how I would explain it? I would literally tell them to go ahead and listen to this podcast because that it's not an easy explanation. It's one that actually takes a bit of time. I'd like how you think because you just promoted our podcast. I always promote our podcast, but anyway, so let's really, let's really wrap it up. Do you have any shout outs? I, I shouldn't ask um, because I know that you probably do. Oh, you know it. Um, and I think you know exactly who I'm going to give a shout out to. I, here's the thing, Steph. I, I cannot, do. <laughs> I cannot tell you how completely humbled I am by all the folks who loved that Bruno Bear. You mentioned him earlier in the podcast today. Now, the administrators on that 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 crazy Bruno Facebook page that has over two hundred and ten followers. The administrators two hundred ten thousand followers. Yeah, I, my Facebook page has two hundred ten followers. This is like a real Facebook page that has two hundred and ten thousand followers. But the administrators there, um, Sue and Carrie in particular, 
they worked with me to start this fundraiser on the Bears' behalf to raise money for our SWAT program. I should add, for those that don't know, that, that Bruno, that bear that was traveling cross-country, he was an, unfortunately killed a few weeks ago due to an unfortunate incident. You want to tell everyone, Steph, what that was? Yeah, he was struck by a semi along a drum roll, please. A roadway. Kind of sad, but fitting for this episode. Yeah, and it was it was truly heartbreaking for so, so many people. Anyway, having said that, would you believe in just over three days after working with the, the folks there and the administrators there, we did this fundraiser for SWAP. And after only three days, those Bruno followers, they raised in excess of $5,000 for us to purchase a travel trailer for the SWAP students. That's what we would use to haul all the gear for our SWAP events. Anyway, one of their requests was to put a likeness of Bruno on the side of the trailer, which I, I think is really, really cool, actually. I think it'd be awesome to have that. And so it's, it's their way of keeping Bruno the bear traveling across country while still benefiting these students from underserved communities. And the cool thing is those students will be learning about bears and bear management as well. Yeah, And I, I must say, I think that that was so extraordinarily awesome of them. It was literally, it was touching. I needed to hear that when you told me because I was losing my faith in humanity. And I was literally smiling ear to ear when you told me what they were doing because it was just very, 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 very touching. And it is nice to see something that's going to have Bruno the Wandering Bear uh, still wandering the countryside, like you said. But anyway, all right, folks. So as always, we are so very thankful and appreciative of all of our listeners. But please, please, please tell all of your family and friends and people you don't like about us. And actually, if you know somebody and they've got ears, talk to them because, um, you know, you know how to tell them where to find us. And if you could tell them that, to find them on your favorite podcast platform, theirs, you know, doesn't even matter which. The easiest way to keep track of us um, outside of uh, subscribing to the podcast so that you'll automatically get notified when we have new episodes is by probably following us on the book of faces that Daryl constantly monitors. Um, it, it's simply like that, that wildlife for you Facebook page. And if you follow us long enough, you will soon realize that when it comes to wildlife. Roads are really, really bad. Daryl. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I know. I know. It that's not a really good slogan for us. So when it comes to wildlife, folks, your knowledge often means their existence. All right. Good night, folks. Tell me, Dee, are people really believing that roads are good for grizzlies? <laughs> yes, believe it or not. It, it's almost as if they think bears are too fragile to live in the woods. Well, if a bear doesn't live in the woods, then where the heck are they going to...